Father, I pray that you would help me speak this word. I pray that it would fall upon good heart, good hearts and, and hearts that are tender towards you, Father. I know that there are many of us who see things happening in our world, but help us to see spiritually. Help us to understand the spiritual nature of things and the responsibility that we have been blessed to have. And I pray, God, that you would give us that supernatural anointing to understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to begin this morning in Luke chapter 1. This is a unique message for me. Um, I'm going to be very careful as I speak. So I've, I've, I'm, I may rely upon my notes this morning a little bit because I want to be very careful with what I believe God has put in my heart to share. And I don't want to rush through this. I don't want to just, you know, spit and preach and run. And, you know, you, you maybe come away from church with a few sentences you can remember. I really want this to set in with your heart. There was a, a letter or a card from one of the children of this generation. And it says this. We are teenagers. We are the first generation to grow up with point-and-click pornography. Almost all of us, over 90%, have viewed porn online, mostly while doing homework. We will never tell our parents. In fact, we view more internet porn than any other age group. But that shouldn't shock you. Not when you consider that we see tens of thousands of sexual scenes and references each year on social media, television, and the arts. We're the generation that is being encouraged to take gender-transforming drugs, all the while keeping it from our parents. The counselors in our school are under the threat of lawsuit and fines if they affirm our gender identity from birth. If they do not agree with how I hate who I am and what I am, they can be fired, sued, or worse. In other words, when one of these high school students goes to a counselor and says, I'm not happy with my body, the counselor is supposed to agree with them that you have a pretty lousy body. It's really horrible and tragic what is going on, and I don't know many Teenagers who are really happy with themselves. They continue demonism, drugs, and social Marxism are major influences in our culture and life. In every educational center from schools, universities, media, politics, movies, music, etc. We are taught to hate Jesus. We can abort our unwed babies without our parents ever knowing we are the generation dominated by demon-infested culture. We are cutting ourselves on our arms and our legs and other places in our body because of the influence of torment that we live in every day. That was supposedly a letter or some type of card written by a teenager. I don't know to whom. But God cried out in Deuteronomy, Oh, that there was such a heart in them. That they would fear me and keep my commandments always. That it might be well with them and their children forever. And that's what God did. He cried for the heart. The heart of our fathers. The heart of grandfathers. The heart of our mothers. 
And honestly, today, having a child and, and attempting to raise a child in a world like ours today is extremely intimidating. The negative influences in other states, not ours at this moment, but in other states, the pressure of the state coming to take your children if you are not a woke parent. Because they conclude that that is a form of child abuse. It is, it is horrific what is going on. And so many Christian parents are like, how can I compete with the negative influences that are around us? And the negative influences that are bombarding my children every day. And I don't know how to protect them from this. Every study affirms, and the, and the Bible confirms this in the book of Proverbs, that the greatest influences on our children are our fathers. As a matter of fact, Proverbs says that a child's hero is their dad. It's just at some point along that line of growth, the dad stops being the hero. And somebody else becomes the hero. Like a, a music artist or a rap artist or a Beyonce or... I don't know their names. Anyway, these other people. But today, the social media, the friends, the teachers have the greatest influences on our kids. And I would stress to say social media is where our children learn most. But I want to say this to you parents. You don't have to compete. You really don't. You are equipped to win. And God has given you the ability to win. And that's what, that's what takes me to Luke chapter 1. And I wanted to read just this small portion of scripture that we probably read so many times, but recently some things really jumped out to me. And John the Baptist was born in a Roman culture. It was a Roman culture that was dominating Israel, and it was dominating the religion in Israel. And so there was a great mixture of demonism and also Jehovah and the worship of God. But all of this was mixed up and people kind of lost their way. A lot like it was when Elijah was prophet. They halted between two opinions as to who God was. The Roman culture was very strong. It was filled with homosexuality and slavery and abuse and racism. All of that was going on. Not much different than our society today. And John the Baptist was born into that society. And the Bible says this in regards to him in verse 13. But the angel said to him, this is John's father, fear not, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. And you shall have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. So I, I ask you that first of all, dads. Where do you want to be great? In whose sight? And where do you want your sons and your daughters to be great? Do you want them to be great in the sight of the Lord or in the sight of the corporations and the culture? He shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. So important. You cannot bypass this. You cannot get around this. If you're going to have authority in this culture, if you're going to walk in victory in this culture, you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you are going to raise your children to walk after God, you have to have the Holy Spirit. You have to pray in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit and talk to God in the Spirit. Hear the mind of the Spirit. Hear the word of the Spirit. You've got to know the secrets of God because He'll talk to you about your kids. 
And he'll talk to you about the culture. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And listen to this. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. There are many people in our city alone that need to be turned to the Lord. We need some John the Baptists. We need some Zacharias that will raise some John the Baptist today. That will turn the hearts of the people to the Lord. Verse 17 is also so good. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I honestly believe in my spirit that this is what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world today. I believe the Holy Spirit is preparing people to meet him. I believe the Holy Spirit is desiring to bring out of this dark culture a people who will know the Lord and walk with the Lord. People that are involved in the trans community or the woke community or atheist or whatever type of community you want to talk about. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to bring people out of that bondage and darkness into the light to be ready to meet Jesus when he comes. John was preparing people to meet Jesus at his first advent. I believe the Holy Spirit is wanting to use preachers like John to prepare people to meet Jesus at his second advent or the rapture of the church, if you will. And so I believe it's so important that we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we have the ability through the Holy Spirit. This is so good. Verse 17, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And that's been my prayer all week. God, if you would do a miracle through my life to turn the hearts of our fathers to their children. And I'm talking about you guys. I'm talking about me. I'm not talking about them out there. I'm talking about you men, you fathers, you grandfathers in this room. That somehow God would do a miracle and turn our hearts towards our children. We would have a heart for them. And then he said this, also the ability to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And how many of you would just be willing to admit that a lot of the things that the people in our society are marching to today is not wisdom? That, that what is being advocated today from gender transformation to new biology to all types of, this is not wisdom. This is like, this does not make sense. What people are propagating today and even what science is attempting to claim today does not make sense. And how many of you would be encouraged by this passage of scripture that there is power in the Holy Spirit To give people the ability to turn the hearts away from this false wisdom and disobedience. And bring it into the wisdom of God and the obedience of God. Does does that not encourage you? It's not church. It's not a Bible study. You're not going to go to a seminar and get a social degree that says how you can talk to this generation. Whatever they're telling us today on how we reach this generation is not working. And I believe we need to get back to the basics of God and we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we need to live a holy life, a life that is separated unto God like John the Baptist did. So we can have authority in the Holy Spirit to turn the hearts of the fathers to the kids and turn the disobedient, rebellious children away from this foolishness that's passing for wisdom. And bring them back to the true wisdom of God. I I believe we're so desperate for that. But the tragedy... Of religious fathers is that their hearts will be far from their children in the last days. 
before the coming of the Lord, we're even warned again that the hearts of the fathers will need to be drawn back towards their children. We will need the spirit and the power of Elijah to be able to do this, to turn the hearts of the children back. God's given us something better than the spirit of Elijah. He's given us the spirit of Jesus Christ. The ability to really confront this generation with power and authority. I want you to understand there is a 0.0296%. I'm not good at math, but I don't think that's a good odd. A 0.0296% that your child will become a professional athlete. There are greater percentages that if you push your children down this road, there's, there's exceptions. And we've seen it even in our church with some godly families that have given children credible opportunities to excel in sports or academia or the arts. And they have protected their kids and their kids have grown up as fine Christians and evangelists for God. There's exceptions to that. But there's a greater chance if we push them down this road that they could get involved in drugs, premarital sex. Lesbianism, homosexuality, there's a greater chance of that because of the exposure of a, of a culture of kids that are not walking with God. If a child comes to Christ first, 3.5% of families will follow that child into Christ. If a mom, a mother comes to Christ first, there's a 17% chance that the family will follow. If the dad comes to Christ first, there is a 93% chance that the family will follow. There are approximately 600,000 people in our community that do not have a church or go to church are professed to be Christian. 600,000. And I think one of the great things that needs to be kindled in our churches today is something within our fathers. And I think the mothers and the wives need to be careful that they don't pour water upon what the Holy Spirit's trying to ignite. Because oftentimes the reason men don't rise to leadership is because of the judgmentalism of a wife. They need to work together to burn the fire, to fuel it, to encourage one another, to really walk after Jesus Christ. When your husband's trying to do devotionals with the family and say prayers with the family, and he does it for four minutes, and you say, that's it? And he's like, that's it. I'm not doing this tomorrow either. Because you just embarrassed me. You just shamed me. Say, say, that was the best four minutes of our day, honey. Thank you. Thank you, and, and mean that. Thank, thank you for reading the devotion with us. Thank you for reading the Bible with us. Thank you for saying what you think this scripture means, even though if it wasn't as articulate as Felix. Thank you, God. Thank you, my husband, for doing that for us. That blesses me, and you build them up, right? And, and they're like, yeah, man, I'm going to do this again tomorrow, you know? And we're going to go six minutes in prayer, you know? I mean, you can pull water on that and they're done. They're not going to do this anymore. It, it's, it's a cooperative effort. And it also goes on to say this. When both mother and father attend church, 72% of the children will remain faithful to God when they go into their early adulthood years. 
72% when both parents remain faithful to God. When only the mother attends church, only 15% of children will remain faithful to God. If only the mother does. If only the fathers attend church, then 55% of the children will remain faithful to God. Gentlemen, I would say and believe that there is a high responsibility on your life to be a leader for Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you to throw yourself into this thing of Christianity with all of your might, following the Lamb of God, if you really have the desire to care for your children and raise them up so that they are successful and not overwhelmed by a pagan culture that we live in. There is a great amount that depends upon you. It's beautiful when the mother and the father do it together. I say today that the children are not safe. They're not safe in this world. The children are in grave danger. And nothing is more horrific and sad than child sacrifice. It is not supposed to happen. A child is helpless. A child is, if you will, a sponge soaking up whatever information that it receives. Even if it doesn't understand it, it soaks it up. A child is impressionable. They need to be protected. They need to be nurtured. They need to be affirmed and led. The abuse of a child is against human nature. It's against human nature. It's not human nature to abuse children. It has to be the work of God's demons to abuse children. And I want you to understand something that I want to stand out in this. I am not by any means talking about the denial of God. I'm not any means talking about somebody denying that Jesus is God or that God exists. I'm saying this to you. Please listen to me. You cannot serve two gods. You cannot. And that's the problem with Israel. Israel tried to serve the Baals. And Israel tried to serve Jehovah. And as a result of that, they were burning their children on the altars of Molech. Child sacrifice because of the demon gods that were infecting the people. To do things that were against the natural instinct of humanity. And that is to devalue life. And to think that children were not worth saving and keeping. They attended God's services. They attended to God's worship. But their hearts were far from God. And they didn't even know it. And Elijah the great prophet had to come on the scene. And declare to the nation of Israel. How long will you halt between two decisions? It's time to stop this. Either Baal is God or Jehovah is God. But we're going to settle this today. And you're going to have to make a choice. You can't serve two gods. You can't serve the gods of this world and Jesus Christ at the same time. He has to be first and foremost. And the cause of child sacrifice. And please listen to me. The cause of child sacrifice. Is because somehow a door was left open. And an emptiness was in that room. And it created a vacuum. That when demons see an open door. They accept it as an invitation. And when we lose the presence of God. When God's presence is of no value to us. When we assume or take for granted that we have the presence of God. Because we say words. 
But our children are not exposed to God's presence. If God's presence is not there, there is a vacuum and demons will fill it. That is why God said to the nation of Israel and to Abraham and to Israel in that covenant, he said, this is what I want you to do with your children. I want you to cause them to serve me. I want them to walk with me. When you sit down, you talk to me about them. Talk to them about me. When you eat, you talk to them about me. When you lay down, you talk to them about me. This, this sociological experiment of an attitude that I'm just going to allow my children to make their own choice. They're not going to make their own choice. A demon will make the choice for them. But man is governed by the supernatural, whether it's God or whether it's demonic. And that's why God says to the parents, listen, you talk about me all the time. If I force my children to church, then they're going to turn away from church. Maybe so, because church is not the object. Jesus is the object. The presence of God is the object. And I will agree with you. You can force your children to church. You can force your children to religion. They will despise it and run from it as soon as they can. But if they can witness Jesus Christ, the love of God, the kindness of the Father, the power of God, God in their life, the greatness of God, they will not turn away from that. God will become their great friend. God will become their great savior. God will become the love of their life because they've been exposed to that love. So these gods come in and they destroy humanity because the door was left open. God's presence was removed. And the gods come and they promise you, they promise you, you guys, they promise you joy in sin. And you know there's not, but you're going to try it one more time. But you know there's not. And I'm not talking about the fact that we don't ever sin. As believers, we do fall in sin, but we grieve about it, right? And we don't agree with sin, and we rebuke it from our life, and we agree with God that it's wrong, and I want to walk holy with you. But the God's promise is joy in sin, so we push God to the side and pursue this lifestyle. The God's promise us success in our jobs. Just like Ashtoreth would promise the people in Israel and Baal would promise the people in Israel, pay homage to me and I will bless your crops. These gods do the same thing today. You're a woman, you deserve a career, abort your baby and enjoy a successful career for your life. That's what the modern Molech does today in our culture and in our community. I know this isn't easy. I was asking people this morning, please pray for us and pray for this message and the people that we can hear it. These gods try to convince us that life is about our happiness. But it's about God's glory. And our happiness comes from God being glorified through our life. The gods remove the meaning of life. I'm talking about these demon gods. They remove the meaning of life. They remove the purpose from sexuality. They remove life from birth. They remove dignity from humanity. They remove reason from facts. They remove man from manhood. And they remove the woman from womanhood. They remove marriage from community. They destroy every practical thing they can that had God's touch on it. And America is the number one nation in the world that has facilitated the worship of these gods. We are drunk with materialism and wealth. We are drunk with the worship of prosperity and money. 
Sexual immorality, pornography, abortion, homosexuality, transsexuality, the altar of our genders, human trafficking. America's drunk with this. We lead the world in these things. We used to lead the world in, in, the, in, in giving Bibles to the nations and sending missionaries out. This nation can be saved, but we need some John the Baptist. We need some men and women with power in the Holy Spirit. This is not to be trifled with. America has single-handedly resurrected the worship of these gods in our day today. I believe with all of my heart that Baal has returned and Ashtoreth has returned and Molech has returned. Baal is the god of the environment. He was the god of thunder. He was the god that would bless the crops. Environmentalism was everything to Baal. Environmentalism is a worship system today. It's because Baal is back. Molech was the god that was thirsty for the blood of the children. Give me your children and I'll bless you. I'll make you successful. I'll give you wealth. And so they brought their children and burned them on the altars of Molech. And since the 1960s, we have aborted over 100 million babies to Molech in America alone. He's drunk on the blood of our children. And Astroth is the non-binary God. This God is neither male nor female. This is the God that mutilated men and made eunuchs out of them. It's the God who masculined women and feminized the men. And destroyed civilizations and marriage back in the day. This is a real demonic being that is back. And having effect and force in our world. This is what you're contending with, guys. You're not dealing with an educational system. You're dealing with demons that are in the educational system that are trying to destroy the fabric of our society. And they're doing a good job. But we can make a difference. We have power to turn this around, to take people from this foolish wisdom to the wisdom of God. And maybe we'll have to be persecuted. Maybe we'll have to suffer a little bit. Maybe we'll get some doors thrown in our, shut in our face. Maybe we'll go to prison for this. And I just simply say to you guys, don't let the preachers be the only ones who go to prison. Come join us in those prisons. And let's have revival in the prison yard because the church has gone to prison. If that's what it takes. Let's have some courage to live for God and stand for God and walk with God for the sake of our children. For the sake of our society. For the sake of God. Result of God's absence is always the open door for demons who accept it as an invitation. The temples in Egypt, the shrines in Tahiti, from India to West Africa, Tibet, the Aztecs, the Druids, the Mongolians, human and child sacrifice and exploitation sexually were the system, were the symptoms of God's absence right now in America. There are states that are attempting to pass laws to make pedophilia legal. They'll do it. If the church doesn't rise up, they'll do it. We have power. We have authority. I'm fighting with all of my might for our kids. I hate school more than kids hate school. I hate it. I despised it. I loved lunch and recess. And God told me to start a school to help you save your children from this generation. This is what we preach to the kids. It's a discipleship school. And we try to fill them with the knowledge of God and the fabric and, and, and the foundation to be able to stand upon God's word against these powers of darkness. Because I believe God has given us as teachers and pastors the power to turn their hearts to God. We will do everything in our power to do that. 
These cultures were extremely spiritual and their worship was explosive. Every hill was a grove and an altar. And out of this spiritual culture was the devaluing and the degradation of life. And kids were the helpless victims. The child's greatest desire was to live and be loved. Instead, they were kept from God, sacrificed for the benefit of future opportunity and success. These are the actual words spoken by those who are pro-abortion. And I want you to notice the religious and spiritual terms in this. These are actual words. Our culture needs new rituals as well as new laws to restore abortion to its sacred dimension. Abortion, if you'd get that queued up for me. Abortion is a major blessing and a sacrament in the hands of women. It is not immoral to choose abortion. It is time for another kind of morality, a pagan one. Abortion is a sacrifice for a better life. Abortion is a sacred act. Clitarchus, the Greek historian, writes... This is thousands of years ago, out of reverence for Kronos, the Phoenicians, and especially the Carthagians, whenever they seek to obtain some great favor, vow to sacrifice one of their children as a burnt offering to the deity, especially if they're eager for gain. It is the work of the gods to pervert the mother's instinct to give her child life and love. Children are not safe in a world without God. It is our responsibility to not hide God in the four walls of a building, but to represent God in every avenue of life, in the political arenas, educational universities. Christians need to get there as fast as they can. Even babies that are born successfully, healthy, surviving on their own from attempted abortion procedures are deemed worthy of death. Even up to about 14 days after they're born. Surviving on their own. I wanted to present a thought. This is, I don't know which one you're going to show, but just go ahead, go for it. There's no exception. There was a very contentious committee the hearing Governor yesterday when Fairfax County Delegate Kathy Tran made her case for lifting restrictions on third trimester abortions as well as other restrictions now in place. And she was pressed by a Republican delegate about whether her bill would permit an abortion even as a woman is essentially dilating, ready to give birth. And she answered that it would permit an abortion at that stage of labor. Do you support her measure and, and explain her answer. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I wasn't there, uh, Julie, and I, I certainly can't speak for uh, Delegate Tran, but um, I would tell you, one, uh, first thing I would say, this is why decisions such as this should be made by providers, uh, physicians, uh, and uh, the uh, mothers uh, and fathers that, that are involved. Um, there are, you know, when we talk about third trimester uh, abortions, these are done uh, with the consent uh, of obviously the, the mother, with the consent uh, of the physicians, more than one physician, by the way. Um, and it's done in cases where there may be severe deformities, there may be a, a, a fetus that's non-viable. So in this particular example, uh, if a mother is in labor, I can tell you exactly uh, what would happen. 
um, the infant would be delivered. Uh, the infant would be kept comfortable. Uh, the infant would be resuscitated if, if that's what the uh, mother and the family desired. And then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mother. So, so I think this was really blown out of proportion. Uh, but again, we want the government not to be involved in these types of decisions. We want the decision to be made by uh, the, the mothers and their providers. And, and this is why Julie, that legislators, most of whom are men, by the way, shouldn't be telling a woman what she should and shouldn't be doing with her body. And do you think multiple physicians should have to weigh in as is currently required? She's trying to lift that requirement. Well, I think it's always good to get uh, a second opinion and for for at least two providers to be involved in that decision because these decisions shouldn't be taken lightly. And Mm -hmm. and so, you know, I I would certainly support more than one provider. All right. Let's uh, go back to the phones now uh, for the governor. We're going to talk now with uh, Mike, who's... Well, you've been watching the show. You know that college campuses are worse than ever when it comes to free expression and real tolerance, especially the tolerance for views that are right to life. Well, take this exchange between a student at Boston College and Kristen Hawkins, president of Students for Life. Do you think that the children that are apprehended at the border that are in U.S. government care, do you think, like, babies who are going to die should be resuscitated and be given care? Do you believe that, um, like, a baby who's born alive during abortion at Planned Parenthood should get care? These are just a couple of situations. The first video was the governor of Virginia. And, and, and this college student is echoing really the same thing, that if there's a failed abortion and a baby is born, then they will try to keep the baby comfortable until a decision is made by the mother whether she wants that baby to live or to die. And they would literally take the baby's life. I know this is not real popular, but I want you to see this is what's being pushed in our universities. And this is what's even being pushed by some of the highest offices in our in our nation by one of the governors of our state and i think it's very serious marcus manicus said this he was one of the philosophers so they commit murder before they bring forth and these things assuredly come down from the teaching of your gods and i think it is is a significant thing and i ask you this morning I, i just i just want you to contemplate this and i want you to think about just stay with me but what doors are you opening to your, your family and to your children? Who are you allowing to come into those doors and to occupy that? Even Jesus in the book of Revelation said to the church, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever opens that door, I will come in. What is knocking at your door? And who are you opening that door to? And who are you opening that door for? Now, you might not be opening it. Oh, I want this demon to come into my life and into my home. But it could be the philosophy of these demons. It could be the cultural characteristics that are dominating our society today and that are plaguing it to such a great degree. What are the doors are we opening for our children? And I believe that everybody should have a voice in this because it depends on whether God will or will not judge our society. And I think we should be concerned for it. And God or gods will fill the vacuums that we allow. 
The presence that we pursue will provide will prevail over us. They'll prevail over our life, our family, and our cultures. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that this whole world, before it comes to God through salvation, is under the influence of this demon God that the Bible calls the power of the prince of the air and, he, and the spirit that works in the children of disobedience. In Romans chapter 1, it talks about the decay of a society all because people who knew God were not glorifying God and they were not thankful to God. We were religious, but we were not glorifying God and thanking Him. We were like Cain telling God, this is what I'm going to do for you and you can take it or leave it. This is the kind of worship that I'm going to give you. This is the kind of tendance that I'm going to give you. This is the kind of praise that I'm going to give you. And, and, and God, you ought to like this. And if you don't like it, well, you can take it or leave it. And, and God's not bound to your decisions. He's the God. And according to Romans chapter one, when we just begin to give God improper worship and gratitude, everything begins to spiral downward. And those that think they're wise become fools and everything is twisted. Just the doors of your schools, the doors of education, the doors of spirituality, music and movies and the arts can all be spiritual doors that we open up into our homes and our families. Things are not innocent. They are not. There are things involved in things that are going on in our world today. When you look at the Bible and God would tell the nation of Israel, and I, I think I'm thinking of Jacob and, and Rachel and, and Leah, and, and God stops him and he says, somebody in your, your family has an idol and I want these idols removed. There was something to that. God has forbidden us to have these types of idols. And sometimes these things that we fool with, these things that we play with, these movies that we watch, that we just think are of an entertainment value. Our society as is demon-possessed. We cannot continue to bury our heads in the sand and think that these are just innocent little things that we do, we watch, we play, or we have in our homes. These are things that can... Attract the attention of the demonic or attract the attention of God. And we have to be very, very careful with this, parents. We have to have boldness to speak in our children's lives. We have to have the boldness to show them Jesus Christ with all of our heart. Latanctius said this of the pagan world. Can persons be considered innocent who expose their own offspring as prey for the dogs? And it was another word that they were using for, for God's. And just using these kids as praise for the, for the dogs. If our kids are not given to God, they will be given to Molech and to Ishtar and to Baal in this present day. And these gods have come back with a fury to rule society. So I want to come to this point this morning. And I just kind of want to turn the direction of this to a direction that is filled with the new covenant and filled with hope. And filled with encouragement for your life as a parent and as a grandparent. And I want you to listen to me carefully. How can we live in the days when civilization around us has become a house of spirits? How do we do that? Because America has. America is extremely spiritual. And how do we do this? How do we come against the darkness of this house in America? How do we resist the intimidation of demons and refuse their temptations and defy their power? And you better be ready to fight because they're not going away just because you say go away. They will demand a fight and God will allow it. And we've got to be willing to do that. How do we stand against the gods? And you cannot stand against the gods by trying to serve God and them at the same time. You have to make a choice. And I want to read these two scriptures with you, if you will. The first is in Luke chapter 18. 
And I want you to see this. And, and I just say this in the context of doors that are opened and the doors that we're willing to open and the access that our children have. And we're doing everything we can in this church to try to protect you, to try to help you. Our youth group, our fireplace right now, they're not playing games and doing coloring books. They're preaching to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're teaching them the ways of God. Our youth group is phenomenal. They're, they're making Felix and Becca go witness. They're, they're, they're just superb what is going on in their lives. In Luke chapter 18, I want you to see this. Um, let me see where I want to start. Verse 15. And they brought to him also infants that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to him and said, suffer the little children to come to me and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. And verily I say to you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. They were bringing infants like we saw up here in the altar today. They were bringing infants to Jesus. Just, they were, they were just, if you could imagine it, like, like this gentleman's holding his grandbaby. And, and they were bringing them like, Jesus, just touch my baby. Just, just touch this child because you're Jesus. And I want you to touch this baby. And, and I want you to do that. This is played on again in Mark chapter 10. And I want you to see it. And it's just a little bit. Of a, of a definition here that I want you to see. In Mark chapter 10. It says in verse 13. And they brought young children to him. That he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it he was much displeased. And he said to them suffer the little children to come to me and forbid them not for of such is the kingdom of God. And I, I just please listen to me and I say this with all respect that I can possibly say it. The children are not safe in a world without God and they're not saved in homes without God's presence. They're not saved in religious homes. They're not safe there. Our kids are not safe in these environments. Our kids are safe with God. Our kids are safe in the presence of God because it is God who has given dignity to life. It is God who said in Psalm 139 that I am the one that fashioned you and I wove you together and I formed you in the mother's womb. I gave you life and God values that life of babies and, and children and, 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 and those in their prime and the elderly. God values life in every regard and in every context he values it. God has created us in his image and all humans are to possess infinite value before God and God abhors, he abhors the abuse of children. And one of the things you got to see, please, please guys, see this. But one of the things you got to see is Jesus Christ, I am not happy when you keep your kids from me. I'm, I'm displeased with that. I hear what you're saying. I hear your excuses. I hear the things that you desire. And by no means Jesus would try to restrain us from giving our children, you know, good education and good opportunities and, and some enjoyable things to do in life. Certainly Jesus is not against those things, but Jesus is saying, please do not keep your children. I want to touch them. 
I want to touch them. He still today wants to touch them. And yet there are Christian families who keep their children from Jesus. They get, they, they may get a little bit close, but they're just far enough to be religious. And religion's not going to help your kids. Jesus wants to touch them of such as the kingdom of God. Jesus wants to express this in their life. This is the attitude and the atmosphere. I want to say this to you. It is important. The atmosphere of God. I can't stress it enough. Atmosphere is important. The environment of your home, the environment of your life, the environment of your marriage, the environment of our church is important. That we would be able to come and say, I sense the presence of God here. I sense the seriousness of God. I sense the holy, the holy presence of God in our midst. That God is taken with high regard and very serious. And I, and, and I sense that. There's nothing more beautiful than men trying to get their children to God. Touch them. I, I don't know if you got those pictures ready. I, I just took a couple of pictures. I thought these were beautiful. Of godly men, do you have that with with their kids? And yeah, just dim the lights if you will. This is Mike Everett with his baby in the altar at prayer meeting. I mean, when I see that, I just I see a man just like I could go to the church and walk around in the lobby, but I want to be in the altar and I want to be in the prayer meeting. I want to say, God, touch my baby because there's an atmosphere here. There's an environment in this place. There's an environment anywhere you go. There's an environment in Tiger Stadium. There's an environment in in the movie theaters. There's an environment. There's an environment of God. And I want to get my kids to God. And you young people and you teenagers that will soon have families, take this seriously, please. Because you of all people know how hard it is to stay separate in this culture that is trying to just rape you silly. And I just, I, I just thought that was just a beautiful, he's not the only one that does that. There, there are others. I see Rachel and Patrick so many times with, with their baby in the altar. There's another picture. This was taken from a church in Wisconsin. And here's this man, this little girl. She's so precious. And she's just worshiping God all by herself because her parents live in the altar. And her parents live in church. And she, this is just natural to her. And look at this little boy. He probably doesn't know what he's doing. He just sees his daddy doing it. And my daddy does that. So I'm going to do that. Is there another picture of that? And there it is again. He just sees his dad with his hands up. And he's in that altar with his hands up. And he's just doing what he sees people do. And one day he's going to begin to get it. One day he's going to understand it. He's being, you listen guys, he's being brought up in the presence of God. He's not being brought up in religion. And I've seen you guys. I've seen you. You, you. you come into a church like this. And all you've known is the Catholic church. Or the Baptist church. Or something. And you come into a church like this. You see these nuts up in the altar. Going crazy for God. And you're sitting there. And you're like this. You know what? This is not your environment. You were not brought up like this. But that baby's going to be. That baby's going to be, and the Evitz baby's going to be, and they're not just going to attend First New Testament Church. That doesn't do anything for you. They're getting those kids to God. They're in prayer meetings. 
They're in worship services. They're in Wednesday nights. And, and I get it, man. It's so hard to get to church. I, it's so hard, you know, and you get to church and all you do is spend your time changing diapers and trying to get your babies fed and try to get, no, there's an environment here. And you let your kill, you let your kids grow up without God. You let your kids grow up with religion. They get into the presence of God and it scares the, the life out of them. They don't know what to do. You put them in a bar, you send them to a rock and roll concert, they're the ones acting crazy. You can't make fun of us because we get excited about Jesus. You get excited with your ball games. You wear your uniforms. You put your tiger stuff on. If Alabama, I see you, Keith Babin. You put that stuff on. You do all these things. You go to your tailgate. You, you see everybody going crazy. You know, if you like the football games or whatever, LSU wins the national championship in baseball. Maybe you don't even watch a lot of baseball, but hey, that's my team, you know, and that's great. Get excited about it, but don't come up in here and tell us we're nuts because we want to worship the living God who is raised from the dead. And we want his environment. I don't want a religious environment. I want the presence of God in our life. I want these children to have the presence of God. And I want this to be so normal to them. So used to this. And kids today, when they, when they grow up and they go into church, they don't have any idea how to behave before God. Not at all. And so I just say that to you that God's presence is so necessary. John, listen to me. I'm going to prove this to you. John the Baptist, he's in the womb, and Jesus shows up in Mary's womb. And that baby in the womb recognized the presence of God and did a somersault in the womb. Listen, Elizabeth said it. He's moved within me because of Jesus. And you mean to tell me that a a child can't understand? I can't understand the presence of God. I just know I can't live without it. Samuel, I I, I don't know. Maybe he's two and a half years old. Maybe he's three or four years old. Maybe he's five years old. And he's going to bed at night and he hears a voice calling out to him. He thinks it's a man. It's God. God's calling out to him. And here's this little kid, maybe maybe five years old, maybe six years old. And he becomes, as, as a six-year-old, he becomes the prophet of God. Because at, at that young age, Eli said, go back. When you hear the voice, say, Lord, I hear you. I'm your servant. And listen, Samuel, whatever God tells you, come tell me what he said. And that boy, that little five-year-old prophesied to the priest. Our babies are not the future. They're right now. We can't have church without them. We can't walk with God without them. We need their leadership. We need their energy. We need their inspiration. Paul even said to Timothy that you, from a young age, you have known Timothy. From a young age, you have known I tell you this with all of my hearts, godly Christian parents, expose your children to this atmosphere, the atmosphere of God's presence. And if you withhold that from them, I would say with all of my heart, Jesus is displeased. Suffer them to come to me. Forbid them not 
Do you think there'll be a day when they're able to better understand this? I just say this to you. That day will never come. Because you don't understand it today. And you will not understand the significance of it tomorrow. Your children will never intellectually understand God and neither will you. You will have conditioned your children to live in another atmosphere other than God's. And this will be the one they're most comfortable with in the environment they want to stay in. Your children will know they run your life. And they will continue to run your life if you don't run theirs. And that little four-year-old knows exactly what it's doing. And they're not little angels. They are lost sinners that are going to give you hell if you don't get them to the Savior. They're going to give you nightmares. This modern-day psychological blob stuff tells you how to raise your kids. Forget it. Get back to the Word of God. Apply the rod. Apply the counsel of God. Lead the home. Lead the family. That ain't your bedroom, baby. That's mine. I pay the bills. I pay the electricity. I'm, I'm going to look in there. I'm going to find out what's going on. You ain't hiding nothing from me. That's not yours. That's mine. This modern day stuff, it's wrecking our society. Wrecking it. I know the kids love me now. So I want to try to close. I commend the parents who sacrifice to get their children to God. Who, who make these sacrifices at the altar of Jesus Christ. I compliment and commend the parents who get their children to church in an effort to let Jesus touch them. And I know that it's hard. And I know for you parents, it's not because of the tradition or the discipline of church. But it's the faith of the parents and their understanding of God's importance and God's atmosphere. And the difference that God's presence makes. A fish is born for water. A bird is born for the air. And a man is born for God. And that's his atmosphere. It's a very difficult process of getting kids ready for church. If you were like us, there's a lot of fights from the house to the church. <laughs> and a lot of arguments. And a lot of vomit and spit up. And dirty diapers. If you have help. Praise God. If you don't. Praise God. Because he's engineered your life. To know what you and your baby need. But I can tell you this. I will get them to God. And to this very day. Though I have the greatest respect for my children. And believe that they are godly. And pursuing the Lord with all of their hearts. And I've always admired my kids. I continue to be a force in their life. Because I love them. And I risk upsetting them. But I have that opportunity because they know that I love them. And there's no motive in me to hurt them or harm them. So I know that it's difficult. But especially guys when they're infants. And all they want to do is eat. And sleep and cry and dirty their diapers and say, why do I even go to church for the atmosphere? To be near to the presence of God, to get up into that altar. My baby's just filled up a diaper. 
And I'm like, that can wait. Touch them, God. Touch my baby. I'm serious. Oh, I'm so serious. We played worship tapes while they slept in their beds. We prayed, played teaching tapes while they slept in their beds. They had recognized it. They had recognized these voices when they would grow up and get older. Your babies are not going to hear God nor see his miracles laying in their beds. You have to get them to Christ. That is your job. You cannot make them a Christian and you cannot get them born again. But you can get them to Jesus. And give them the opportunity to have the faith to put their trust in God or not. Parents, if God is the most important thing. And if there is a rapture. There is an end of the world. Then are you giving your child every opportunity to walk with Jesus? Are you giving your baby every opportunity to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to be born again? There were two central things in mine and Carla's hearts when we had kids. Win their hearts and get them lost and go into hell. And we got them lost and going to hell. Because when they really experienced that moment of being lost, they flew to Jesus. And they knew he was their hope. And he was their answer. And we didn't tell them they were good little kids. We told them you're bad sinners and you're going to hell. We did. For some reason they still love us. But we did. I think they love us or they just use our money in our cars. I don't know. But, but we did. I mean, they got to get lost so that they can be saved. And they've all been beautifully saved and born again. I know there are exceptions to that. I'm, I'm not by any means saying, oh, aren't Carla and I just the most righteous and godly couple that ever walked? No, we're not. We're absolute failures. And so sometimes there are some of the most incredible parents that love God far more than I ever could and who walk with God with all of their heart, whose children have chosen to take some other road. But it was because that parent did not give them the opportunity to walk with Jesus. It was because they made a choice to not walk with Jesus. But there's a promise in the Bible that says if you train your child in the way they should go when they're old, they will not leave it. And we continue to believe for the fruit of that in their life. And I celebrate that. And I rejoice in that. So. I encourage you with all of this. Because they're not going to see God's miracles. Or the Red Sea part. Or eat the manna on their beds. They got to move with the cloud. And with the fire. They've got to do it. Paul said this to Timothy. When I call to remembrance. The true faith that is in you. I say, I've spent a lot talking to, to men in here, but listen to this, ladies. Sister Timothy, when I remember the true faith that is in you, which was first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I'm persuaded it is in you as well. And you may not have a godly man in your life, but you're a godly woman. And just as these two ladies were able to put faith into Timothy, you can as well. But please listen to me, every one of you. Whatever it is 
we are giving faith in something to our children. And Jesus is coming soon. He's coming soon. There's going to come a point where your little baby reaches an age of accountability. They know that they've sinned. At that moment, they have the choice to trust in Jesus or to not trust in Jesus. At that point, they are spiritually and morally accountable to God. If the rapture happened, they didn't accept Jesus or were born again. It's probably not going to be a very good situation for their life. This is your moment. It's not to be trifled with. Get your children to Jesus. Get them into his presence so that when they come to that age of accountability and they recognize that I have offended a holy God. But I know that this God is redemptive. And I know that God loves me because he has shown that to me through the offering of his son, Jesus. And Jesus is my savior. And they have the opportunity at that second to call upon Jesus. And they're saved. They're saying, and that can happen at four, at five, at six. Don't give me this business. How can a five-year-old understand? How can a 60-year-old understand? I'd love to hear you preach that. It's an act of faith. And your four-year-old can do it. Your five-year-old can do it. Please give them the chance. Please, guys. Please give your babies. If you're serious about this baby dedication today. Please give them every opportunity to walk with Jesus. That is more important than anything else you will expose them to. Expose them to him. I love you guys very much. Thank you for not stoning me. Thank you for listening to me. Father, I pray soberly humbly for your help.